Hey, Connect family, uh, Pastor Derek here. If you don't know who I am, um, I want to welcome you to Connect Church and Connect Online. This is one of our campuses where you get to be where you are comfortably enjoying the service. Uh, some places uh, around the world, some places right here in our country and some very local. This particular series that we're in is for our local church and some of you just get to kind of listen in and apply it to your life and to your situation. We're in part two of a series at Connect called Rebuild, Rebuild. And we're basically finding a blueprint for building out of brokenness. And I think we established last week, if you didn't get that message, I'm begging you to go back and get that. It really is a prequel to this critical and connected to this particular message. But we looked back at that and really had to establish before we got going into the series um, that our country, our, our nation could be seen very similar to what we see in the book of Nehemiah. That's our key character and that is uh, the roadmap that we'll be using for this series. But we can see some parallels to the ruins of the nation there, the walls that had been broken down and, 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 the, the, and burned down, uh, we see that in our country today too. We see a, a nation without walls. We see, um, and I'm meaning that figuratively, but you could apply it literally in some respects. But we also see that in our personal lives as well. And so we need to know how to build out of brokenness and that has been our kind of big idea for the series is that we don't fear brokenness we build from it and so our overarching theme that we've extrapolated from the book of nehemiah is we don't fear brokenness as christians we build from it and i gave this kind of challenge or i i asked everybody to uh make this confession and that is i am a nehemiah and we need Nehemiahs in our modern day that learn how to and have the courage to and have the burden for building out of brokenness. Can I have an amen out there? And last week we talked about, I kind of posed a question, what in your world breaks your heart? What in your world breaks your heart? But then my goal was to move you from that place and space to God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Man, we had a powerful service uh, here live at Connect, and I hope it ministered to, to you online as well. But we really got to a place where our agenda changed from it's not just about me and mine, and, but it was really more about, hey, God, what is your agenda and what is breaking your heart? And I want to get a burden for that, much like Nehemiah got a burden for his people in Jerusalem. Now, I'm going to continue in the series today. Um, and get into not just we were in chapter one last week, but we're going to be in chapter two today. And so this is going to get super practical. Um, I consider myself a you might consider yourself a woman or a man of action. I'm kind of that uh, person. I have that natural bent or proclivity towards like, let's get her done. You know, let's uh, my daddy used to say, let's see some chips fly, you know, and we want to swing the axe and see some trees drop. And so if you're one of those stand up, take action, do something kind of people, this will fire you up. Um, but some of you, you might not be in that situation. But I, I will say this, the Bible says faith without action is dead. You know, we can't just have a burden and it not translate into doing something. And so um, 
A-type personalities typically get fired up about this, but I want to also speak to those that say, PD, I'm not that kind of a person. You know, I don't see myself like that. I'm not that A-type person. I feel, I feel like I'm kind of an average, ordinary, um, you know, person. And, and so how can I get something out of this or what, what do I have to do with this? And this next part in the blueprint from the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 2, um, it's going to show more of, of that. But in the very like latter part of Nehemiah chapter 1, there's this little detail that I want to highlight there and spotlight that I think relates to the one who would say, I'm not that A-type. Most people are not A-type. They're, that's more the exception. Most feel ordinary and average and don't think they're capable of doing something great, uh, period, let alone for God. And so look what it says in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 11. This should come up in the, if, if you're taking notes. Uh, we have those available to you. But it says this, Nehemiah speaking, I was a cupbearer to the king. Now, Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the Persian king, modern Iran today. And I don't know if you know what that job was or what that entailed. Every day, uh, Nehemiah um, was kind of responsible for uh, bringing the food and drink to the king. Um, But he would have to taste the wine in particular before the king did. And he tasted it to see or to make sure that it wasn't poisoned. This was a very important person, and we can't have him being knocked off. It would affect the whole nation. And so his job was to die in the place of the king. In other words, he was hired to die um, in the place of the king if necessary. In short, Nehemiah was was just a glorified butler. He's, he's kind of like in the Batman movie. He's, he's Alfred, okay? He's in the background. He's kind of invisible. He doesn't have any like kind of super characteristics uh, or attributes about him. No prestige, no significance of sorts. And yet, this is the detail that you need to see and how it connects to you. Yet, he was called by God as an ordinary, like nobody, to do something extraordinary. And so our big idea today is this. This is today's big idea. God is in the business of choosing average, everyday, ordinary, humble people to do extraordinary works or extraordinary things. I couldn't help but throw a scripture in there that I've known since I was maybe 16, 17 years old. It's Daniel eleven thirty-two. 32. It basically says this, that those that know their God will do great exploits. Now it's critical that you have a relationship with God or you can't accomplish anything great for God. You can do some things that are successful, but you won't do things that are necessarily significant. God wants you as Christ followers to not live in survival mode, not just live in success mode and follow the American dream. He wants you to live in a significant mode. That's where you're doing something great for God while you're here on this earth, this temporary assignment. You're doing something that has eternal significance. Can I have an amen in the chat? And Nehemiah was an ordinary Joe, an average Joe, a thousand miles away uh, from Jerusalem. And the Bible says that he, after he heard the reports of what was happening in the city, he sat down and he wept. And we talked about this last week, getting down into that well. He, he let it hit him emotionally. The emotion preceded the motion. The 
the inspiration came before the perspiration and all the hard work. And I hope again you go back and listen to that message so you can see the connection to what we're talking about today. But he came to a place where he decided, um, you know, uh, somebody has to do something about this. This, 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 this condition of our people and of our city and the disgrace and the humiliation and the, and, and the, and the hurt and, and, and it, might as well, it might as well be me. And even though he did not have a powerful position, he had powerful passion. And that was critical in his ability to move the ball down the field of faith. So I want to give you an additional lesson from Nehemiah and today's lesson to rebuild our broken world, uh, we're talking about uh, how we can, ordinary people can do extraordinary things. Here's the first lesson in how to rebuild in a broken world. Number one, write this down if you're taking notes, you don't have to be the best, you just have to care the most. You don't have to be the best, you just have to care the most. I'm amazed how often we forget this, but if you're a veteran parent, when I say veteran parent, you've had more than one kid and they're not just all under three years old. Like you've been, you've been, you've been uh, you know, around the block, okay, on this. And those of you who have kids uh, in that camp, we know and we understand this idea, this notion. In fact, we may not know the medical aspects of what's going on sometimes when our children get sick or they face a certain obstacle as an example, um, but Often we can see things that no one else can see, not even the doctor many times. In fact, sometimes when we go to the doctor, it only confirms what we knew to be true with regards to the health condition or to the concerns or to the issues that we're experiencing with our kids. And here's the principle, and I think this is a principle from God's Word that I could do a message on, but here it is. Because care supersedes competence. Care it comes before, it is above competency. See, the world tries to convince you that you have to know more to accomplish more. The truth is, you have to care more in the economy of God to accomplish more things for God. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6 says, He has made us competent. He has made you and me competent as ministers of a new covenant. Not by the letter or something we could study, but by the Spirit. It's, it's, it's something God gives us from Him direct. For the letter kills, actually, but the Spirit, it gives life. So, how did I put it in my notes? Uh, the burden you accept is more important to God than the skill you may, you may have or think you have. Did you hear what I said? The burden that you accept, the willingness to really care about something or someone may be a better qualification than the skill you have or you think you have. Because God rarely, um, rarely calls the superstar. He discovers and develops them, but he doesn't necessarily call them all ripe and ready, okay? I don't know if you've read your Bible. I hope you have. But if you read your Bible, God always used ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things. In the life of Moses, he was chosen to lead God's people, uh, but yet he was a stutterer. He had a significant speech impediment, and yet he was called to lead the people. And he had to get over that, but it didn't keep him from doing incredible things. God called Elijah, and he, uh, 
it's pretty clear in Scripture that he had some mental illness and perhaps uh, or, or depression of sorts, but yet he was used by God to do mighty miracles and signs and wonders, some of the greatest ever recorded in history, calling down fire from heaven and consuming the altars of Baal. He used David the eighth son of Jesse, overlooked, not even called to the table when the prophet came. He became, he was the nobody who became the, some, the somebody. In fact, in Psalms, it says that he took him, God took him, not man. God took him from the shepherd of sheep to the shepherd of God's people. He took him from taking care of sheep to taking care of all of God's people. He was a nobody who became a somebody. He was an ordinary person. And Paul, even Paul said, I, the chiefest of sinners. He was aware of the fact um, that he had these limitations and he persecuted Christians and had them killed. And if anybody could have been disqualified, Paul was saying, it should be me. But he, came, he became the greatest church builder and church planter the world has ever known. And Nehemiah, the cupbearer to the king, who was called to rebuild the city of Jerusalem in just 52 days. He was an ordinary person who did an extraordinary thing. So if you're sitting here today and you're watching this message online, I just want you to understand something. You don't have to be the best at something. You just have to care the most. And you are qualified, not because you are extraordinary in and of yourself. You are qualified because God makes you qualified. This has been my story. I had to kind of reflect, you know, even in my devotions this week and processing this message, you know, uh, this has been true for me. Um, and there are many things that I could say, and this isn't about me, this is to encourage you, but I, I, I many awesome people help me with all the things that I'm about to say. But when I look at our mission, we have many strategic mission partners, but we have our own mission in the Dominican Republic. Uh, my dad started something, but he's given me the ability to multiply it. He's helped me to do that. We were one, one location, soon to be seven locations. We're actually multiplying faster in the Dominican than we are in America. I, I believe we're called to have seven campuses in 10 years, and, and we're moving at a faster rate in the Dominican. Um, he called me to lead a school, a Christian school, many years ago. I was the headmaster uh, of our school for 14 years. I, I struggled in school. It, it, sometimes I thought, I wondered, my parents wondered, would I even graduate? I was a terrible student, but God made me a headmaster. That, that, that just seems inconceivable. I remember thinking at the time, I am so, you know, uh, underqualified for this. He called me to be a worship leader. I had never sang in public when I became the, on this stage, the worship leader of this church for 14 or 15 years. I only sang one time at my sister's wedding and God took me with my, my undeveloped skills and lack of knowledge and I didn't know what modulate means and I didn't know circle of keys and I could play three chords on a guitar but God said, I want you, I've called you to this and I said yes, changed my life and ministered to other people and I grew tremendously from it. God, God took me with this church. It made me a pastor. That's just crazy. I grew up with a fear of man. I never wanted to get in front of people. I had a, a, just a tremendous fear of man. And I remember being in, sem, sem, uh, I was going to say the cemetery, but the seminary, and my professor, when I was studying to become a preacher, he said, son, just, you'll never be a good preacher. But bless God, here I am today preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ 28 years 
And it's because God doesn't look at the things man does. God doesn't look and say, I just need the rock star and the superstar. He wants to take people just like you, and he wants to do extraordinary things. Can you say amen out there? So don't tell me God can't use you. He used me. It's not that you're the best. It's you care the most. See, what made me a good pastor or become a good pastor or grow as a pastor is I just care more than some people. I care more than some people. That's it. It's not that I know more. I grow and learn more in the process, but it's preceded. The principle is that you, it's care supersedes competence. Amen. Back to the story. So Nehemiah, he cares the most in this story. It's very, very obvious. And in verse one of chapter two, here we go. It says in the month of, uh, it says in the month of Nisan, in the month of Nisan. Now, um, this is not the car, so for some of you that think this is a car, it's not. Uh, this is, uh, and I, I happen to be a Kia guy. Anyway, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took wine and gave it to the king. Now, this is a little detail where he talks about the month of Nisan. In chapter 1, he talks about the month of Kislev, but then in this chapter 2, he talks about the month of Nisan. Now, you don't have to be familiar with this, but in the Hebrew calendar, uh, the month of Nisan is the fourth month. So between chapter 1 and chapter 2, basically time has elapsed. And um, four months have gone by. And so some of us, you know, uh, can't hang on four minutes, but four months has gone by before this moment with the king. Now, what he did in that four-month period is a point of emphasis in this message. And I, I want you to understand what happened during this time. He was fasting. He was praying. Uh, he, he was weeping and crying. And, and he was appealing to God to do something and to move and, and to open doors that seemingly were shut. And this is what was happening during this four-month period. Are you guys connecting with that right now? And... And some of us, we can't even, we're just microwave Christians. You know, we're praying for God to move, but then we just move on to the next thing. I want you to understand, <clears throat> he was being faithful, and he was leveraging this time. Um, and, and while this was happening, I think God was using this so his spirit, the anointing on his life could mount and manifest at the opportune time. Courage and wisdom and insight and the necessary inspiration, and, and, and God was growing Nehemiah during this four-month period. God never wastes the waiting. He never wastes the waiting. God sometimes will give us a burden, yes, and then slow us down. So he can do what? So he can expand our hearts and, and he can expand our minds. See, God will put a burden in your heart and then he'll let it bake for a little bit. I hope you get this. So don't get discouraged in the waiting. God never wasted. Number two, write this down. Re rebuilds require patience. This is, the, this is the point that people like me don't like that much, okay? I don't know if you've ever been part of a, like a, a, a rebuilding project or a build project or a renovation of sorts. I remember when we got our kitchen done, uh, when we first moved into our last house. And we got the quotes, and we, we were told how long it was going to take. Let me just tell you something. It took twice as, twice as long as they said and about twice as much money. And if you've ever had an upscale project, more of a, a, a building project, not like a home renovation, uh, it's interesting how 
how challenging those situations can be. Uh, the change orders and the, and the adjustments and, and we didn't calculate this and we got to have a meeting with you about, the, about that. Everything's longer and everything's more expensive and it requires a ton of patience. When I'm working with church planners and, and pastors that I pastor in the region, a lot of times they want to show me kind of their latest project and they always want to connect it to their latest projection. We're believing that we're going to be done. I know we just started this in January, but we think this whole thing is going to be done by Easter. And in my head, I'm like, oh, gosh. I have to be the one to tell them, uh, you know, to, to kind of just slow it down and have a plan B and kind of create some alternative solutions for this. And they're like, no, 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 no. I'm pretty confident it's going to happen this fast. And I'm like, man, it's going to probably cost 25 to 50% more. And it might be another 90 to 120 days. They don't want to hear that, but it's almost always true. Because God uses these types of things in our life, in the natural, but to sometimes influence us, change us in, in the spiritual, or the external things to affect a lot of the things that are happening in the eternal. There's two certainties people say in life, right? They say there's two certainties, death and taxes. But I want to introduce a third certainty, and the third certainty is this, delays, delays. Okay, so just because of the delay doesn't mean God isn't in it. Okay, the Bible says, in fact, it's biblical that we have to have patience. Did you know that? Abraham, the father of our faith, the father of our faith, that's what he's called. Like he's, he's the man of faith. Okay, in Hebrews 11, like he's in that, he's in that illustrious uh, uh, group of people. And it says, Abraham, through faith, get this, and patience inherited the promises. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12. He had to wait 25 years for the promise of his son Isaac. Uh, the Israelites waited 400 years to be uh, delivered from slavery and then 40 years in the wilderness before they could enter the promised land. And so I don't know how that affects you, but I want you to just think about what are you waiting for that God wants to rebuild and how are you responding in the wait. Are you letting it bake or are you getting bitter during that particular period of time? When you're waiting for your loved one to be freed from the grasp of addiction or for an adult child to come back to faith or maybe to praying about leaving the marketplace and, and starting your own business, all of those things that you're waiting on God for. What's happening in that period of time? Because waiting's hard. Why? Because waiting reveals our are um, the fruit of the Spirit in us. Waiting reveals our impatience. One of the fruit of the Spirit is patience, long-suffering, temperance. There's other ones, but interestingly enough, we don't like that particular one, but it's the fruit of the Spirit. And Nehemiah needed this fruit of the Spirit in order to be successful. And we'll learn more about that next week. Pastor Devin's going to be teaching next week on that. So Jesus uses people that care the most because they're also capable and willing to wait the longest. They, they'll do what, they'll wait as long as it takes because they care the most. Man, that's good. So whenever you are waiting on the Lord, Never look at it as wasted time. It's invested time. But you have to have the right disposition so that you're ready for that moment when you have that, you're in that position for God to do something and drop something amazing. Because when the right time surfaces and the door opens, and it will, don't delay and be very, very deliberate in those moments. 
but you have to be preparing, planning, praying during that waiting period because that's what happened in Nehemiah's life. When he heard about the condition of Jerusalem, of course, uh, uh, and he got that burden, he didn't just rush into the king. He saw the king every day, but he didn't just rush in and blur all this kind of stuff out. No, he waited for months and he sought the Lord who he knew was the solution and he knew was the one that was actually going to open the door. He concealed, in a sense, or was discreet with this heavy burden and he didn't just you know, blow the opportunity. He could have really messed things up. I, I have a friend, one of our mission partners, uh, it's called One Hope, and they distribute uh, scripture to children around the world in physical and digital format. Over one billion children have received the word of God from this organization that you, a tither of Connect, contribute to. So that's part of your reward. So when you give, you need to know that there's a certain percentage of what we give, over 10%, that goes to our mission partners, and then it helps do things like give scripture to kids who don't have it. Anyway, this particular partner and this, this, this uh, father and son team, the Hoskins, Rob and Bob Hoskins, incredible people, but they do this. They, they don't go into a new nation or country until God opens the whole country up to them. So what do they do? They pray and they wait for that opportunity. And as soon as that opportunity comes, they have strategy, they have plans, they know what they're going to do and how they're going to do it. And all of a sudden, they walk through the door and, and the delays are over and they're extremely deliberate about what God is going to do. It's amazing. And so Nehemiah does the same thing. In Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1, it says, I, here comes this moment. He says, I took the wine and gave it to the king. And I had not been sad in his presence before. So he'd been concealing that before. So the king sees something and says, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but the sadness of heart. So King Xerxes is like, hey, why are you so glum, chum? Like, what, what's going on? Like, there's something happening to you. And Nehemiah in this moment, is a little afraid, to be honest. And you can see that in the text here. Why is he afraid? Because in his job and his role, he, he's not supposed to be the Debbie Downer. He's supposed to be the life of the party, smiles in your face. You can't be around the king and bring the whole thing down. In fact, um, if you're not upbeat, it's, it's, it would, to, to even come in there sad would be a breach of protocol. He could have lost his job. Listen, he could have even lost his life. So this is, this is kind of diff this is different. And so Nehemiah, though, he's been waiting and praying for this moment. And the king asks him a question. Look at how he responds. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 3. May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? So, so by the way, he's afraid, but he still has courage. Courage is not the absence of fear. It's just overcoming the fear in those moments. So he courageously says, my king, live forever. Of course, my face is sad because look what's happened to my ancestors. And the king said to me, this is incredible. What is it that you want? This is a big moment. This is a defining moment in Nehemiah's life, but in Nehemiah's, not just Nehemiah's life, in the nation of Israel. This is a God moment. And you can have things just like this. And I hope that you can see the connection and correlation to your life. He has the king of Persia full attention, the most powerful man alive and on earth at that time. And the guy says to him, what do you want, Nehemiah? What would you do with that moment? How would you handle that? I love what Nehemiah does here. Look what he says in verse 4. He says, then I prayed to the God of heaven. 
and I answered the king. Or I like to say, and then, parentheses, I answered the king. So, in other words, before Nehemiah goes blurting out a whole bunch of stuff that he wants to say, as a lot of people would do, he, the first thing he does in this big moment is he prays. See, you can tell a lot about a person by who they depend on or who they go to in big moments, in defining moments. And just don't misunderstand here. This is not some formal prayer. This is like a flare prayer. This is like, Lord, help. This is it. This is the big one. You know, it's like when your kids, if you're a parent, veteran parent, your kids for the first time text you or they want to talk to you about sex. You know, you're like, help, Lord. You know, SOS. Right. So this is a flare prayer, but it's still a priority. It's still he goes to God before he talks to the king. Okay, And so Nehemiah prays first because waiting requires surrender. Nehemiah knew that this wasn't it's not his place to change the heart of the king. His role was to pray and leave the rest to God and then just speak what God tells him to speak. So in verse five, it says, if it pleases the king. And if your servant has found favor in his sight, I bet he'd been faithful many, many days and many months, maybe many years before. Let him send me into the city, Judah, where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. And what happens next is equally incredible. Not only does the king ask him, what do you want? He turns around and says, what do you need? What do you want? What do you need? Most influential, most powerful man on the planet. Verse 6, the king with the queen sitting beside him. What an audience says, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? And then Nehemiah says, it pleased the king, or, it pleased the king to, set, to send me. So I set a time. So church, I hope you can see from this text, he was ready for this moment. He prayed. He thought about it. He planned for it. He had a timely word, uh, uh, an apt reply, as the Proverbs tells us. He used his extra time that he had to do two things, to, to, to have some advanced planning and to really think, or I like to say, prink, pray and think about it. Most people, most or people in organizations, they don't work on themselves during the waiting period. They don't work on things. They just keep working in things. Or sometimes they just drift and goof off and do nothing. And that's why they never move forward and grow. But when the king asked him this big question, how long will you be gone? Nehemiah didn't guess. He didn't wonder. He didn't speculate. No, he gave him a definitive time, which is amazing considering the task at hand. And he says, if it pleased the king to send me, it seemed like it did, so I set a time. Not only did he have a definitive time, but he had some definitive requests. This guy is bold, okay? And, and so he comes with his request to the king, and I think the king is basically saying, man, this guy's got his stuff together. He's prepared. He's planned. Wow. And so if you were a king, who would you want to invest in? See, if, if you say, like we said in the beginning of these first two messages, I am a Nehemiah, then you need to be a prepared leader. You need to be prayerful, but you also need to be a good planner. So in verse 7 it says, look at how thought out his requests were. If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that 
They will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and the residence that they will occupy. So he, his first request in the last verse is he wants time off. His second request is, hey, I need safe passage. I need protection. His third request is I need resources. I need resources. And so this guy's just an awesome leader. And you know this to be true, this quote you probably heard before, if you plan, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Or I like the, uh, you know, success is when preparation meets opportunity. This guy's a rocking leader and he is ready. He knows how much wood it's going to take. He knows the protection he's going to need. He knows who to talk to, how to get it done. And he leveraged that waiting period. Nehemiah was working on the vision before the vision could come to pass. This is so great. Number three, if we're going to be a Nehemiah, we have to make plans carefully. Planning, by the way, is spiritual. A lot of people are just like, no, we just need to be spirit-led. We need to just pray about it. Let God lead us. We need to get all bogged down with that. And in my mind, sometimes I think with those kind of people, you don't have a clue, right? You just don't have a clue. Or even sometimes we're lazy. We're, we're, there's a physical lethargy that's manifested in spirituality. Now, I realize that we can trust our plan sometimes at the expense of trusting God, but I don't think this is an either-or. It's not pl plan over pray or pray over plan. No, it's not an either-or. It's a both-and. God is a God of order. He spoke, but He did things in an orderly fashion. God took and brought order out of chaos. And that's what he wants us as Nehemiahs to do in this broken world. He wants us not to fear brokenness, but to build from it. And this is what the Lord spoke to me to say to you and to speak over you, that the more you plan, the more uh, you give the Spirit of God room to move. So you want God to move in your life, you gotta be more prepared in your life. People often ask me sometimes, Pastor, how do you um, prepare messages like this? You know, how do you, how do you, how do you concoct them? How do you, how do you develop them? And, and what is your process for that? And, and, and basically I say, I pray and I plan. I pray and I plan. I prank. I think. I pray. I prank. And it happens all week. It's just, I'm baking this thing all week long. And my burden is to share something that I prayed, I planned, you know, I put to paper, but I don't want just written on paper. My goal is to get it written on my heart so that I have a conviction about it and the anointings behind it. Amen. Are you with me out there? So what I've discovered is that God honors careful planning and preparation. Here's another principle. I gave you one earlier about care of a competence. Here's another principle. Preparation precedes the manifestation. We want to see God move. We want to see results. We want to see supernatural outcomes uh, in our lives. Preparation. You can't neglect to prepare. And I love Nehemiah's uh, balance with waiting on God and, and, and in that period not being inactive but working on things so he was ready for things when the time comes, when that Kairos moment uh, takes place. And I like to personalize this to connect because I've got a burden for connect. And if you're a part of connect, I hope you have one too. I want to see people who are far from God, disconnected from God and their purpose, connected. I want to, I want to see more people reach. That's why we do that little lifesaver thing is to remind you of that soul, that you, that life that you are called to help see saved. Uh, I want to see people come to church and it, and it be healthy and, 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 and they be healthy. And they get healthier from coming to church, not sick from it, that there be a safety 
uh, that is here. I want to see um, also resources, you know, for uh, the things that we need to do and accomplish within our church. So similar to Nehemiah's prayer, uh, we've, we've prayed for the right timing of things. Like, God, give us a time and space where we can come together again. And that's why we reopened the church. And, and similar to Nehemiah's prayer, we prayed for safety for all of our people to be healed and healthy and whole. And I'm continuing to pray for that. And I pray you believe the same thing. But I'm also praying, like Nehemiah did, and one of my requests to God is, God, give us resources, human resources and financial resources. We've got a lot of things coming up, guys, in the future. We need to have um, more people because of our vision for the Tri-County campus. We want to see the Framingham location full and maxed out. And we eventually we're going to have to start more services here in Ashland. But for that to happen, we need more human resources. Guys, at some point we're going to buy a building in Framingham. We're going to have to get equipment for what's going on. We need financial resources. I have a burden for that as a part of Connect Church. Do you have a burden for that? And is that burden something that you are preparing for? Are you praying about it? Are you preparing for it? Are you ready when that moment comes? Amen. And will you be a part of rebuilding the church of Jesus Christ and your local church if you call this your home? Now, we, so you know, philosophically, when we rebuild our church, uh, we do it around your passions. See, um, Nehemiah didn't have more position, a better position or more, more position. He had more passion than most people. God uses people's passions and he wants to direct those to accomplish the most for the kingdom. So when you get involved and you decide to become a builder in the house of Connect, know this, we're not going to ask you to do something that you don't have a passion for. We're going to direct you into those areas of ministry that you are a potential 10. Amen. But here's the truth. When you get a burden and you care for what's important to God, when you pray, when you plan, when you in summary prepare, one day this moment will come. This this time, this big moment will come. And here's what will happen. The gracious hand of God the Father will be upon you. Look what it says in verse 8. And this is Nehemiah's story and I believe it can be ours. It says, and because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. He had been waiting on God on the front end and he was careful to give glory to God on the back end. And even though God's favor was there, there's always going to be resistance along the way and we'll talk about it in the coming weeks. But I want you to understand something. God is going to give his favor and put his favor on you and he's going to put his favor on me. Number four, last point of the message. I know you're sad. This is coming to a conclusion. But here's what we learned from Nehemiah when we're rebuilding uh, from the ruins and from brokenness. Number four, put God first, and it'll be his job, God's job, to take care of the rest. Put God, just put God first, and God will take care of the rest. Here's what Nehemiah says in Nehemiah 2.17. It's our theme text. He says to the people, you see the trouble we're in? He's talking to, like me, he's talking to the church. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. But then he said, I also told them, this was significant that he did this. I also told them about my gracious, the gracious hand of my God that was upon me and what the king said to me. What does that mean, Derek? It means he's saying to the people, this isn't my project. This is God's project. Like, He's basically saying, I didn't, this didn't come about, this isn't going to come about because of some royal favor that I got or because of some supernatural connections with, uh, these special connections I have with people. No, 
This is coming about. All of this will happen because of the gracious hand of my God who is upon me. God touched the heart of the king. God touched my heart and gave me a burden. It is he who will bring all of these plans into fruition. And so you see, when God's favor rests on, and his hand rests on someone, even a pagan king has to bow down. You need to understand this. And that's exactly what happens here. God gives uh, Nehemiah financial support, military support, political support, and that's favor, baby. And we want to follow favor at Connect Church. And in verse 10, he said, let's start building then. Let's, so they began. The, the whole church responds. They began the good work. Come on, say that. They began the good work. They basically say, we're with you. We're with you, heart and soul. We're with you, homie. Wherever you go, we go. And they could have replied differently. We've seen this kind of thing before. It didn't really work out. Ain't nobody got time for that. I don't have time for that. I'm too busy. It's going to take too long. It's too much work. It's too expensive. That's too far away. But Nehemiah he had a heart for it. He had these bold prayers. He puts God first the whole time. And he knew and he trusted that God would bless the rest and he would move the heart of the leaders. And that's my prayer for you, Connect. I've just been praying. I can't do it. I pray that God would move your heart to help us rebuild the church of Connect Church. You come and you be a part. You get involved. You engage fully in what God is doing here. Listen. The gracious hand of God is on this church. And I say this with all humility, and it's on me too. It's on me too. And so, but we have to continue. And I pray every day, Lord, help me steward this well. We have to continue to put God first before we do anything. And in Jesus' name, I will and we will do that. Um, and, and if God is in it, and if he can work through a cupbearer, he can do it through you and he can do it through me. Because you don't have to be the best. You just have to care the most. So wherever you are, with every head bowed, maybe would you just close your eyes for a second? I want to pray for you right where you are. And I just want to say, are, are, you, being, are, you, are you embracing the weight that in between, like that delay from that, that burden you have to that, to that ministry that you see? Are you, are you planning and preparing during that time? And lastly, are you asking for God's favor. I'm gonna pray God's favor over what God has put in your heart. And I'm gonna ask God to, to just bless it. Father, in Jesus' name, for every person within the sound of my voice, Lord, there are people out there listening to me that have a burden that you've given them. Lord, there's something because they pray, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. There's something that you put inside of them. And Lord, you're calling it out. It's not buried anymore. It's resurfacing again. Even in the middle of all this crazy, chaotic world we're in. And they don't feel disqualified anymore because they're not a rock star. They know, God, it's not about that. It's that they care. And God, you put in that love and that care and it's trumping and it's overcoming and it's superseding the, the thing that they think they don't know and the competence that they, need, they think they need to have. God, I pray that you would just encourage them in their spirit, man, that they can accomplish great and mighty things for God. Lord, would you draw people to this church to help rebuild it? Lord God, you, you want to, you wanna, we don't fear it. We build from it, God. And I'm praying for builders to return to the house of God and help strengthen it because the best days are still ahead in Jesus' name. Now, if you're far from God and you're listening to this and this whole thing's new to you, 
And somehow, you don't even know necessarily altogether what's going on, but something's knocking on the door of your heart. I just want to ask you, have you made a connection with God? Do you know that you have a relationship with Him? Is it more than a religious thing or some kind of just intellectual thing? You can have that today. I believe God, by the Holy Spirit, is knocking on the door of your heart. And here's what you need to do. The handle's on the inside of that door, and you just have to let Him in. You can do that by praying with me right now. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. It is, it is in sync with Scripture. I'm not going to say something that's not in sync with the Word of God. And when you pray that prayer, something's going to happen in your heart. And it's going to be, it's going to be a catalytic moment for you. Change is going to happen. Your spirit's going to come alive. And it's going to line up with your body and your mind. And you'll never be the same again. Would you pray? Just say this. Say, Jesus, I invite you into my heart today. By grace through faith, I receive what Jesus did for me 2,000 years ago. He paid for my sin, past, present, and future. Lord, my destiny is secure eternally. But now, in the present, I believe that you have called me to something that's bigger than me. And Lord, I want you to reveal that to me. I want you to show me the plan of God. And Lord, I pray for every person who prayed that prayer, that that salvation prayer would be sealed until the day of redemption. And the plan of God would be revealed through the local church as they get connected to the family of God. And I pray that we steward these new souls and these new people well in Jesus' name. Now, if you prayed that prayer, listen, text this, text CC Saved to 97000. We want you to let us know so that we can help you on where to go next. We want to help you on your journey. We want to give you next steps. We want to guide you. If you need prayer, just raise your hand and just say, I like prayer. If you just made that decision, please let us know you just made that decision and we will be so excited to be able to talk to you and, and, and help you with your next steps. It's been an honor speaking to you today. Thank you for being a part of the second installment of Rebuild. I'll see you guys very soon, hopefully in person, but if not, I'll see you here next week. God bless.